All right, let's pray, and then we're going to get into the Word. Thank you, God. You are good, and your Word is good. Just so thankful for it this morning, Lord, that um, you've always got something good for us. You're always wanting to work our good. Lord, everything together for our good. And so just thank you. Even today, Lord, you've got another thing that you want to share with us. And I just pray you would bless it, Lord. Let this message sink deep into our hearts, Lord God, and um, change us, Lord, this year, we pray. Let us become more like your Son. Jesus' name, amen. The year was 1993. I was in eighth grade. Chicago Bulls had won their third championship in a row with Michael Jordan. And basketball was life. A little overly dramatic. My dream was to make it to the NBA. I can remember in English class, we had to keep a journal that eighth grade year. And I remember journaling out, I will make it to the NBA. Period. And staying up late, you know, in my driveway when it was dark outside and shooting baskets and this dream of like, I'm going to do this. This is the pinnacle of existence. I don't know if you didn't know this, but I didn't make it to the NBA. Um, Played a year of college ball, and we were 5-22. and 22. It was pretty glorious. I had, I had eight points that season, and uh, I broke my front two teeth, so it was a great year. And um, I've had other dreams in my life. I, I, you know, as I got older, I had a dream of you know, getting married and you know, finding that perfect someone and you know, settling down just for bliss the rest of existence. So most of that has come true. Um, there's lots of bliss, but not quite what I was dreaming, maybe, except, you know, my wife is absolutely amazing and more than I could have dreamed, but, you know, we have dreams, right? We have dreams about our career, about our, our lives, about our kids, what our kids will do. We have dreams about where we'll be in our relationship to God. Even we have dreams about where we'll live. Uh, we have dreams about food, foodies out there. No, I mean, come on. The holidays were just over. All kinds of dreams in our life. All kinds of hopes that we have. And even some nightmares about things we are fearful of. The question that we are starting uh, in on this series is called Dream Big, Think Small. We're going to do three weeks of dreaming big, and we're going to do four weeks of thinking small. We'll explain a little more about that later. But God has dreams for us. He's got big dreams for us. And the question then this morning, as we start out this series, is what is God's dream for you individually? We're going to talk about kind of corporately, we're going to talk about worldwide in the next couple weeks, but what's God's dream for your life? What is he hoping for? Even in this year, 2016, as you're thinking about New Year's resolutions, yeah, all right, those always work out. Um, What's God dreaming about? For your life, what is he hoping this year will have in store for you? As we answer that question, let is, let's turn to the book of Ephesians. You have a Bible, you can turn to chapter 3. We're going to read the last couple paragraphs in this chapter. Okay, it's Ephesians 3. We're going to start in verse 14. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, writing to this church in Ephesians. 
Ephesus. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all, all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to Him, to Him, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What is God's dream for you this year? What's God's hope for 2016? What would make God look back on this year and say, yeah, that's exactly what I was hoping for. God's dream is for you to grow strong. It's a pretty simple dream. God's dream is for you to grow strong. God wants you to be strengthened in every way in 2016. His dream is your growth. Isn't that interesting? Now, this is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. He's just gotten done with a whole section in this book where he's detailed all about the gospel, kind of the the content of the gospel, for it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, not by works, lest any person should boast. And then he goes through and talks about how, you know, this is for everybody. It's for the Jews and the Gentiles. And he talks about it's his calling to bring This mystery that's been hidden for ages from everyone, people and all the angelic beings out there, it's now his privilege, his calling to bring this mystery of the gospel to the Gentiles. And then what does he do right after that? He prays that the Ephesians would be strengthened, that they would grow, that they would become strong. He doesn't pray that they'd reach a thousand people in their little house church that they'd multiply and do, you know, a million small groups, that, you know, they'd see 500 healings. That's not what he prays. He prays they would grow. He prays, prays that they would they'd be filled to all the fullness of God. And you see this theme that he's weaving through about strength. He uses that word twice in this passage. They'd be strengthened, right? He uses two metaphors to describe this. He says that they would be rooted and grounded. 
So the rooted picture, the best thing I think you can think of is a tree, right? Tree has strong roots. There's a tree in Louisiana. It's called the uh, Seven Sisters Oak. It's a famous tree. They think it's about 1,500 years old. 1,500 years old. Incredible. And the oldest tree in the world is like three times that old. It's in Northern California. So it's just incredible. This, this um, tree is, uh, I don't know, like, like two blocks or something, or like a couple miles from Lake Pontchartrain. Totally survived Hurricane Katrina. It was in like the middle of that hurricane, like a, basically a near direct hit. That tree is still functioning, still alive, still thriving. Why? It's got some deep roots. It's got some strength. This is the metaphor that Paul's using to describe what his prayer is, what God's dream is for the Ephesians. Okay, the other metaphor he uses, grounded or founded. This is like a foundational word that he's using. Okay, you think of a, a, a building that's been built that's really strong. So here's a, here's a building that's about the same age as that tree. Anybody know what that is? Yeah, Hagia Sophia. Okay, so it's about 1,500 years old. Uh, it was originally a... Um, you know, cathedral, Catholic, and then, you know, Byzantine. Uh, and then the, the Ottoman Empire came in and took it over around, you know, 1400, I think, A.D. And so until about 1913, I think, it was converted into a museum. So now it's a museum, not, no, not a place of worship. But that thing's still standing. Isn't that amazing? 1,500 years. Somebody was thinking about that foundation, weren't they? This is God's dream for us. Rooted, grounded, strong, strengthened in every way. That's his dream. It's for you to grow strong. He wants you to be strong spiritually, but that's not it. You know, strong in your faith, unwavering, you know, committed to him, fully convinced of who he is and his love for you, all that. But it's also mentally, physically, emotionally. It's a holistic thing that God is envisioning here for our lives. That's God's dream for us. I have two boys, Sam and Wes. And if I had to say what my dream is for them this year, I want them to grow. I don't want them to stay the same height or the same age. Although these ages are very fun, they're also very challenging. We're working on obedience every five minutes, right? Now you can't do that. I want them to grow, right, in every way, physically, emotionally. I want them to be mature. I, that, that's my desire for them. And spiritually, I want them to grow in the Lord. I want their faith to be strengthened. I want them to be like a tree that is rooted. When the storm comes, they are not shaken. When the trials of life come by, when Hurricane Katrina hits, they are rooted and they're grounded in the Lord and growing in every way. That's every parent's desire for their kid. How much more our Heavenly Father? Interesting that Paul uses that word, Father. The Bible keeps using that over and over again to describe God. It's because that is His heart for us. Now, what's the result if we grow? Or another way to ask this question why does God want that instead of maybe the more flashy things or the things that are a little easier to measure? It's kind of difficult to look at a person and say, oh, wow, here's, 
you know, 7.3 ways that you've grown this year in all these different areas. Yeah, Spearjay, I can see you're 150% increase this year. Awesome job, right? They're kind of intangible. It's a lot of you just say, hey, I, I led five people to the Lord this year. Or, you know, I, I minister to, you know, people in, in jail, you know, 50 times every week except for two. You know, there's a lot of things we could measure, all right? Paul's describing things that are a little bit immeasurable, a little hard to, to quantify. Why is this what God wants? And, and what is the kind of the result of our growing? What does that look like? Why would God want this? Well, your growth is God's glory. Your growth is the glory of God. When we grow, God looks good. When we become who God is dreaming for us to be, the name of Jesus is lifted high. God looks good. He's made more famous. Because when people look at us, they see Jesus. Your growth is God's glory. It's not selfish to want to grow. It's not, it's not a bad thing that that is something that you're desiring. That is God's dream for you because your growth is his glory. Look at the passage again. This is how Paul ends, right? He says, um, to him be glory in the church. And of course, in, in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. But God is glorified in his church. Right? As we grow up into who God is dreaming for us to be, who he's created for us to be, as Paul says in other places, our true self, our new person, our new man, our new woman, God gets more glory. It means, you know, the goodness of God is made known. God's glory is people living the way that he designed this world to be run and people living in that way. You know, obviously as the church grows in breadth, God gets more glory. As more people are standing, you know, in this church and lifting their hands and praising God, God's getting more worship. So obviously as the numbers increase, but it's also as the depth. The more we obey, right, the more glory God gets. The more this world looks like the way that he wanted it to look like. Your growth is God's glory. And God is entirely committed to his glory. That is a huge part of what this whole thing is about. It's about Jesus, the name of Jesus being exalted. Which means that God is entirely committed to your growth. He is completely and 100% for you growing up in every way. Because he's committed to his glory. The Holy Spirit is working to glorify the name of Jesus in this earth. Until one day every knee bows. And every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord. And the entire earth runs the way that God has designed it. God is committed to your growth because he's committed to your glory. Your growth is God's glory. It's not just about God's glory, though, because God really loves you. Did you hear that theme in this passage at all? He wants you to grow because it's good for you, not just this selfish thing that it's good for him, because what's good for him is good for you. And what is good for you is good for him. They're tied together. 
It's a father's heart that wants to see his children grow in every way. He wants you to be filled with all the fullness of God. The life that he dreams for you, becoming who you really are, makes him really happy. God just wants to see you thrive in every way. So, what do we need to do about it? What part do we have to play in this? Okay, God wants us to grow. Great. Check, Brian. I'm tracking with you. And when we grow, God gets more glory. Because your growth is God's glory. So, what part do we play in growing? I mean, here we are, you know, some of you are thinking about New Year's resolutions. You're like, okay, here we go again, you know. Set those every year. They last five days, you know. How do we actually grow? And what part do we have to play in our growth as people and as followers of Jesus? Well, we grow when we know God. The more we know God, growth is going to come as a result of that. In this passage, Paul, you know, says this curious little phrase about Christ dwelling in your hearts through faith. Now, that's an interesting thing because, you know, I grew up in the church, and what I was taught is that when you believe in Jesus, he comes and dwells in your heart. So why is Paul praying that he will dwell in their hearts if these people he's writing to are already the church people? Is he preaching to the choir? Is he just not making any sense? Well, my take on this is that he's, he's talking for a deeper level of dwelling. You know that passage in Revelation where Jesus is standing at the door and he's knocking and wanting to come in? That's also written to believers. He says, if anyone would welcome me in, would you know, say, come in, I will come in and eat with them and he with me. The point is that there's, there's a continual growth in how we are dwelling with Jesus, how we are relating to him, how we are following him, how we're obeying what he's telling us to do, what his word says to do. That's what Paul is describing here. That's the kind of dwelling that this passage is talking about. So as our faith increases, as Christ dwells in our heart through faith, right, we grow. So that's the, that's the first kind of thing there. Now, the other piece we have to see is that Paul is praying for this to happen. Which means that God is the one that has to do it. He's praying that they will have the strength to grasp, right, the power of God and the love of God in their lives. So somehow, God has to do this. If God's not in it, it ain't happening. An analogy we used uh, earlier a few months ago is a sailboat. What makes a sailboat go? Not the person sitting on the boat, right? It's the wind. The wind blows the boat. Now, the person sitting in the boat has a job to do. They've got to line that sail up. They've got to know how to, you know, steer the boat a little bit. But it's the power of the wind that drives the boat. It's the same for us. It is not us striving to make ourselves better. It is the power of God. And you, saw, you, you heard Paul summarize that in the last statement. He's praying that they'll be strengthened, praying that God will work, praying that he will move in their lives, praying that they will grow. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, According to the power at work within us. It's God's power at work within us that makes us grow. 
So God is always working. He's always working in us to help us to grow. And that's why Paul is asking for God to do more of that. So we have a part to play as well. And I think the biggest thing for us to start this year off is to get two things in our head that are very basic and you already know, which is that God is loving and he is powerful. Now I was just struck by that this week because as I deal with my own garbage every day, those are the two places that often come into conflict with how I get angry at God all the time and I'm trying to work on that because I doubt those two things. I doubt that God actually has the power to change me, that I can actually grow in all of these different issues from, you know, family of origin stuff to, you know, things in, you know, my own just kind of journey with, with, you know, sin or just, you know, discouragement, whatever it is. Sometimes I just think it's hopeless and I will never grow. And then I come to this passage and God's saying things like, He can do more than I could ever ask or think. Well, I can ask and think for quite a bit. And it doesn't always seem like that's really panning out. The problem is right here. The problem's not on on God's end. The problem is on Brian's end. Because Brian is continually wanting to doubt that God actually cares about me or that he has the power to really make me change, help me to change, help me to grow, or that he even wants to do that. If there is anything that will help us grow in this new year, it is being founded on who God is. Paul is entirely convinced that God is for this church in Ephesus. He is completely committed to their growth because he's completely committed to their glory. And it's all because of his character. He's a father who loves these people despite all their hang-ups and all their, you know, screw-ups and things that they've done wrong. He loves them. And he is incredibly powerful to help them change. If that's not true, this is all a waste of time. Because if we can't grow, if we can't change, if this is all just a pipe dream, this whole church thing is a waste. Because the Bible says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. That takes an awful amount of power to raise somebody up from the dead. And that spirit is in me. And we need to be rooted and grounded in God's love and in his power. That is going to make all the difference. It's God that's working in us. And our role is to ask him for help in believing in who he is and that he is working in us and will change us. Now, pretty interesting phrase in this passage. I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. That's kind of a funny thing. God gives everyone their names. I named my sons. Naming was a little bit different in these Bible times. Although, It's probably not. We just don't always look at it this way. Names are identity. There was a book that was written years ago. It was called uh, A Child Called It. Anybody ever heard of that book? It was a a boy who was living in California. He had two older brothers, and his mom was just crazy. And she kind of cared for them, but 
for whatever reason, he was the youngest. She just tortured this poor boy in so many horrific ways and called him it. And it was through his teachers kind of discovering bruises and, and different, you know, burns on his body and, and all these awful things that she did to him, you know, locking him in the in his cage and withholding food and, you know, beating him and all these things. Some teachers discovered that and he was able to become, you know, free and he, you know, went through some foster system and, and is now kind of like a motivational speaker and, and writing people for people to be resilient. All that to say, it strips the identity from somebody. You know, think about all those different places, you know, you know, prison camps or wherever, where someone is just given a number, and that's their identity. It is dehumanizing. And this is saying that God is one that gives identity. He's a father who chooses names. He's, a, he's one that is created, and he gives us our identity. He tells us who we are. And who we are and who he sees us is who he dreams us to be. When he looks at us, he sees our true self. Heard a sermon, someone, hey, you want to encourage someone? You want to challenge them? You want to to help them get out of their sin? Tell them who they really are. Not say, hey, here's how you screwed up again, and I'll whack them on the head and say, all right, I'll hold you accountable to this. Hey, I'm going to hold you accountable to who you really are. That's not who you are. This is who you are. God is all about that. Every person he is dreaming, he has destiny for, he has identity for. Every family in heaven and earth gets their name from God. And how can we not, you know, talk about the love that God describes in this passage that Paul is making an attempt to describe? You know, a few different times he's talking about you know, that we'd be rooted and grounded in love. We'd really know God's love. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, that's another really confusing statement. How can you know it if it surpasses knowledge? Well, I think he's saying something about how we can never know the extent of how much Jesus loves us. I was a math teacher. I don't know if you knew that. Uh... In college, I was a math major, and I took all these crazy math classes. I took as many math classes as I could. You know, I know that sounds like awful to some of you, but I, I, I couldn't get enough of it. And the more I learned about math, it was incredible. The more I learned, I don't know anything about math. I mean, the expanse of, like, advanced mathematics is so incredible. It's continually growing. And, and there's so many fields. You probably, you know, as you've done your own studies, the more you learn, the more you realize there is to know. I mean, I remember watching this video about Fermat's last theorem, which was this crazy theorem that this guy Fermat, who's French, proposed like, you know, centuries ago. It was, sorry, I'm getting a little geeky here. It was that A cubed plus B cubed equals C cubed has no rational solutions. I just lost some of you with that one. Okay? It's okay. And this this theorem was like unproved for centuries. And this one guy, I think it was like in the 80s or 90s, ended up proving it. And he had to collaborate with some Japanese, you know, mathematicians and stuff that were studying four-dimensional donut space. I remember hearing about that and going, what the heck is that? 
I thought, I, you know, I thought I'd go to college and study all the maths, you know, and kind of learn it all. It's like, no, you don't really know all that much. This is just like, this is just the basic, buddy. But it's incredible. You know, that is God's love for us. The more we know, the more we realize it is unfathomable. The more we realize it is, it is totally unknowable. It is so great beyond all comprehension. We can't do anything to understand it. And that is why we have to be strengthened by God working in us to help us understand what is unknowable and so great. I don't know if you watched any Christmas movies this year, but, you know, all-time favorite ones of many people was the, the Grinch Who Stole Christmas. And what did he have? He had a heart that was three sizes too small. Isn't that all of us? Because we haven't known the love of God. And we need a new heart to get it. It's God that's working in us to help us know his love. That we would be who he has dreamed us to be. That's his dream, his goal, his vision for you this year. Now this little passage about the breadth the, the length, the height, and the depth. I don't know if you noticed when I read it, but it just says, it just stops. It doesn't give like the noun that all those adjectives are associated with. I don't know if you noticed it. It's kind of funny. It just says, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So people debate about what these are talking about. A couple, you know, a couple winners one is it's, it's, it is referring to the love of Christ, but another is it's referring to God's power because that's a theme that's being woven in this, and they're kind of, he's kind of going back and forth between the power of God and his love. Either way, it's pretty cool that he's describing it with four dimensions. Maybe he's envisioning donut space. He's seeing this vision from the Lord. I don't know. <clears throat> but so one way you can take that is three dimensions is not enough to contain the love or the power of God. It's so great. It's so beyond comprehension. Others have said, hey, the breath, everyone is included in this. It's for Jew and Gentile, what Paul has just been talking about. The length, all through human history, every person, all of history, all of your life. The height of God's amazing righteousness. Often, a, you know, kind of a metaphor used in the Psalms. And even just the depth of our sin are not enough to contain the love of God. But that's not enough. Because we also need to be rooted in knowing that God has the power. We have to believe that he's got the ability to help us grow. The riches of his glory, it said. Meaning, God has no lack of what he is able to lavish on his children. Him who is able to do far more, according to the power mightily working within us. There's so many words for power and like might and strength in this passage. It's, it's unbelievable. You just keep, Paul just keeps hitting it over and over again. I think the thing that really trips us up, though, is that phrase that <clears throat> can God really do more than I could ask or think? Is that really true? 
That is a tough pill to swallow. Because like I said before, I can ask or think for an awful lot. But that is the dare of God for you this year. Will you dare to believe that God actually can do more than you could ask? More than you could even think possible? That's the dare. That's the thing that Paul is praying that these Ephesians would know. And that's the thing that God wants you to pray for you to be strengthened to believe that. Because believing in God's love and believing in this infinite power that somehow is able to do more than we can even think possible, there's something that's going to unlock our growth and the glory of God in our having that firm foundation in those pieces of God's character. Let's have the band come back up. Guys, your growth is God's glory. That is his dream for you this year. And he is completely committed to his glory, and he is completely committed to your growth. And that is going to happen as we are firmly rooted in who God is. That he is totally committed to us in every way. Totally committed to our growth. He's not about just results, about what he can pull out of you and get you to do and burn you out and use you up. That's not what he's about. Because he knows that your growth is his glory. It will increase his kingdom in this world. And he'll get to see his child become everything that he's dreaming them to be. That's what we need to do today to respond. Ask God to strengthen us. Just as Paul is asking, our response is to ask for help. Because it's God's power at work within us that is going to do this. So we're going to respond in two ways. We're going to take communion in just a moment. And uh, I'm going to ask a couple of you, if you wouldn't mind serving communion of the Terrabiles, if you wouldn't mind coming up and serving communion, that'd be okay. You guys make your way up right now. That's okay. And um, I'll do the other side if that's all right. And um, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to to take the, the blood and body of Jesus into us. Again, this is a symbol of what Christ has done and that we need him in us. It's his power mightily working within us. Right? That's what this is a symbol of, is Christ's sacrifice. Not just, hey, Jesus, you washed away all my sins, and you gave your body and your blood, and you shed it for me, so now I can be united to God. It's also so that now your mighty power is in me. The atoms in those things will become a part of your body. And that is what we are asking Jesus to do. Jesus, strengthen me. Fill me to all the fullness of God. So as you come up and receive communion, for all all those of you that would say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, ask God to do that for you today. Lord, would you fill me to all the fullness of you? I need your strength to grow. That's your prayer. And after we're done with communion, we'll sing one more song to close. And the challenge there is just, Lord, what are some of the areas I need to grow? And would you help me figure this out? God wants to journey with you. He's also not just standing there saying, hey, you better grow. He's totally open to the journey. Just like you would be with your kids. I'm not expecting my son Sam to dunk a basketball anytime soon. Right? They're on a journey. You're on a journey with God, and God's got all the grace in the world for you in 2016. All right? So let's have you stand, and I'll pray, and then we will take communion together.
The gluten-free option is going to be on your right. Come down these center aisles, and then you can make your way outside the around, and just come as you're, as you're led. Okay? There's a gluten-free cup on this side as well, so please dip that in there. So, Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you, you gave it all, Jesus. And, Father, you, um, you did everything you could do. You would do anything for us. And that's what you did. You did the hardest thing. You gave Jesus. So, Jesus, we're so grateful that you did that for us. You died on the cross, and you now are just welcoming us with forgiveness and relationship. And so, Holy Spirit, come now and strengthen us to be filled with the fullness of God. In Jesus' name.